This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Thank you very much, Roger, and good morning to you. Good morning, world, as we come your way for our weekly visit here on the Saturday Morning Show to talk about the most basic, important industry on the planet, producing food, agriculture, farmers and ranchers and specialty crop producers, and we thank them every day for what they do in light of the fact they face some of the major challenges. We're going to be talking about those challenges a little bit this morning, but uh, we have several other things to talk about, too, including the return of bacon to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, a new bacon index replacing the old frozen pork belly future contract that we traded for years at the Merck. But we'll talk about the gentleman at the Mercantile Exchange who can give us all the information on that new bacon contract. And Richard Brock, who is uh, with Richard Brock Associates based in Milwaukee, stopping by our studios to uh, offer his insight into what all will happen to the grain market price in light of the late planting that we've experienced so far this year. So a lot to talk about this morning, and uh, we thank you for joining us. And uh, Max will be along a little bit later with the uh, uh, visit with Richard. And so uh, let's get going. We'll be back to talk bacon when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Joining us this morning here on the Saturday Morning Show is Fred Seaman. Fred is Executive Director of Research and Product Development for the CME Group. And we're going to talk about one of my all-time favorite market quotes on WGN Radio. I'll begin, Fred, by saying back in 1960, when I arrived on the scene and started reporting markets at the Mercantile Exchange and the Board of Trade, the one question that I would get most frequently from city listeners, what is a frozen pork belly? And I've answered that question a thousand times, and of course it disappeared because of the change in demand for bacon, now year-round, not seasonal. But uh, bacon is back, is the headline. So tell me what's back and how it'll be traded. Uh, yes. Uh, well, well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. And we are excited about uh, a new index. And right now, uh, it is simply that, an, an index. Uh, obviously, uh, and you alluded to uh, the fact that you know, bacon consumption has become a year-round rather than, uh, you know, a seasonal uh, BLT season product. Uh, and the market has evolved away from, uh, you know, frozen, uh, building up stocks of, of frozen bellies uh, during the, the, the slow season and, and then um, consuming those during the summer season. It's a fresh market. Uh, and w- what's interesting about it is it's, 
the primal cut that is the most volatile of all of the the primal cuts of the hog, and there is not a transparent price reference for it. So what we are doing is developing a a price reference that we hope the market will adopt to bring some transparency to the market. I remember about this time of the year, years ago, we'd start saying, well, we're in the bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich season, so it'll have an impact on frozen pork bellies. But now we find bacon in everything. We do, and and it's a year-round product and bacon and and one of the the uh, my economist here at the exchange even brought in bacon donuts uh, to celebrate the launch of the uh, the index. So our our world for bacon has certainly changed, and you know just the fact that uh, there isn't a good price reference, uh, we thought that would be a good first step to make uh, in this this market. And when we quote the bacon index, will it be pounds per hundredweight, or what will it be? It would be uh, cents per pound uh, for fresh skinless bellies. And they are consumed primarily in the United States, or will we be trading this internationally? Uh, It is predominantly United States, uh, though we do uh, export some, but it is predominantly domestic product. And uh, it will be, uh, you know, the price for the bellies that are ultimately uh, turned into bacon. And uh, the uh, quotes will be used by who? By the bacon companies, the meat companies, the retailers? Who will be trading this index? Yeah, and, and that's where we think the, the, the need really is, is the, the number of market participants that are uh, touching bacon and are affected by volatility in bacon prices. So everything from, you know, in retailers to food companies to, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the sellers, the, the, the packers of, of bacon, uh, all of them uh, face that, that volatility. So what we're going to be providing them is uh, a transparent reference price uh, basis uh, on USDA data and making an index out of that that is a measure of value for those bellies. It hopefully provides a little transparency for the market. And I always have to focus on agriculture because that's the industry that I cover. Will producers make use of this uh, in any way? I think so. Uh, you know, it, it, certainly, you know, the hog producers, uh, the, the the belly is is one of the, the major primal cuts. Uh, we also provide a cutout index on our website. Uh, so that's a value of all of the primar- primal cuts. Uh, this one will be bacon specific, but obviously bacon is a big part of that. So it's going to provide the producer a little more uh, transparency on uh, you know one of the the major cuts that faces more volatility than the others, and, and that really adds to the profitability of uh, the producer who is putting hogs on the market. I would guess, right? And uh, you know we always think information is good, right? And right. I'm. Uh, 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 
a little bit of a historian on, on the start of the Board of Trade uh, back in 1848. And, you know, a big part of what they did uh, was really just a, a cash market, but posting the price so that the next farmer that came along to sell their grain knew what the price was. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. So the, you know, the, the hog producer knows uh, what the value of the cutout is, you know, all of the primal cuts, and knows specifically what the, the, the value of the, the bellies that are going to be turned into bacon. Since I go so far back, covering markets in Chicago back to 1960, I can remember uh, every night at midnight we would report the number of cattle and the number of hogs that had arrived at the Union stockyards in Chicago so that uh, producers who were close enough, if they liked what they heard, they could get up and load cattle and hogs and get them in in time for the market. Those uh, were some very interesting days, but again, and the futures markets indeed did play a role, and I would guess will continue to play a role for a long time. I, I certainly hope so, because, you know, you always have that volatility and that uncertainty and anything that can provide some transparency uh, to the market and, you know, some potentially even uh, a product in the future that allows someone to to hedge those risks is is very valuable for people who want to learn more about the bacon index where can they go for information Uh, we have quite a bit of information available on our website that i think uh your listeners will will find very interesting uh even some some stuff on the history of bacon and it is at uh, cmegroup.com slash bacon index CME group slash bacon index? Yes, cmegroup.com slash bacon index. All right. Well, that's where they can get more information. And uh, where will the markets be quoted? Is there uh, all of the uh, outlets that cover all of your markets uh, will be covering bacon? Uh, there has been a whole lot of information, and it is on that website address that uh, the index is published every Monday. It's a weekly index. Uh, so uh, not only can you find a lot of information about how we calculate the uh, index and and uh, some supply and demand information about uh, bacon. Uh, They can also see the index and see what the value of fresh bellies are. Well, it's another interesting step taken by the CME Group, and I wish you a whole lot of success. Visit today with Fred Seaman, who is Executive Director of Research and Product Development at the CME Group, and you'll hear a lot more about the Bacon Index here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's 22 minutes after 5 o'clock on this sunny Saturday morning, as mentioned earlier by Matt and Roger. Sunrise has already happened, and you missed it if you weren't up to see it happen. 57 degrees on my thermometer here in Huntley, Illinois. And uh, let me just mention again, we were at uh, Jameson's last night for dinner with friends. And uh, uh, thanks to the folks who came up to say, 
We understand why you love this place, because we've just enjoyed our meal. So nice meeting uh, those of you who came up to say hello, and uh, we'll be back at Jameson's, yes, many times. Right now, our weekly report dealing with crop conditions and uh, things that farmers probably should be doing in light of the unusual spring that we've had weather-wise. So uh, let's check in with Max Armstrong and his guests this morning here on the Saturday Morning Show. Let's go to the field to see what's happening out there, what farmers are looking at, what they're talking about. Kurt Martins, technical service representative for BASF, joins us here. Kurt, I've been talking with growers, several of whom have said, all right, we got to get some spraying done. I mean, there's been so much focus, of course, on planting, but they know they've got to get that spraying operation handled as well. What are you hearing? Yeah, you bet. You bet. We're, uh, we're making the recommendations uh to, uh, to really help the growers out. Uh, obviously, it's all over the board from uh, the burn down still needs to go on for both corn and soybeans or the, the, the beans have been planted. Now now what do we do? Same thing with corn or now we've got some of the earliest planted corn. It's it's now big enough that we're starting to, to run the post trip. So it's, it's all over the board and it's happening everywhere. I saw somebody posting a photo the other day of the yellow weeds out there. What is that? Is that buttercup that's showing up out there? It looks so pretty, but it's, it needs to be dealt with. It could be buttercup. That's been very prevalent, especially up in northern Illinois and eastern Iowa, parts that I work in. We don't normally see that, but uh, but it has been prevalent this year and and plethora of other winter annual species. One thing that comes to mind is growers want heat to bring along those newly seeded fields. We're going to need some heat. Our agriculture weather forecaster doesn't see a whole lot here in the heartland until maybe uh, close to the 4th of July, first few days of July. When it comes on, it'll bring the weeds on too, won't it? You better will. Yeah, that's, that's a big concern with growers right now. We need some sun, get some heat, get this crop moving along. We're definitely behind. Uh, by I'd say at least 100 growing degree units, so we gotta gotta get this thing going. But of course, once we have some heat, uh, we've had plenty of rain, so here comes the moisture, or here comes the weeds with that with that heat and moisture. They thrive in moist conditions and and in drought conditions, don't they? They sure do. What are you telling growers? What are you What are you continuing to visit with them about? To focus in on that weed control, and what are you reminding them of, Kurt? Again, everyone's still still trying to get things planted. I'm trying to remind them they've got crop up and, and going. That if they're not controlling their weeds, they're losing you know one, maybe even two percent of their yield potential a day by letting those weeds compete with both their corn and soybeans. So it is imperative that they're they're making some decisions to get those weeds controlled right now. I saw some real good video that a producer posted of his uh, seeding into a cover crop. And, uh, you know, so for some of us who, who grew up in a totally different era where you wanted that field so clean, you know, going in there with that planter, it's really striking the ability to get a crop started in a standing and, in many instances, rather tall cover crop. I suppose that uh, challenges uh, poses some challenges, but it also helps with weed control, doesn't it? It sure can. It's a growing trend. I'm seeing more and more of it every year. And if done correctly, it is amazing. It, it, it has wonderful benefits for, for the soil, for the crop. It helps with weed control. Obviously, it has its own challenges. It's another level of management, so maybe not for, for everyone. But when done right, boy, it sure does turn out pretty, pretty nice. Kurt, it's good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Kurt Martin's technical service representative with BASF.
And our thanks to Max and his guests this morning for the crop discussion. Incidentally, you know, the weekly planting progress reports that we feature is about over. But starting Monday, the USDA weekly report will deal with crop conditions. And uh, we'll be using that weekly report well into October, maybe even November if we have a late planting season. So Monday, it'll be the uh, crop progress report rather than the planting report, even though some of you I know still have not finished with your planting, but you're working on it. And it looks like we're getting a couple days at least of dry weather That thunderstorm that came in across the Huntley area at the beginning of the week was just a stunning thunderstorm, lightning and thunder and wind and rain in 45 minutes. I measured uh, two and a half inches of rain in my rain gauge. That is what we call a a toad-strangling gully washer, and it happened... uh, earlier this week. Right now, we're getting ready to uh, check in with Richard Brock, who'll join us in the second half hour here on the Saturday Morning Show. And again, in case you missed the news, the Mexico standoff is apparently over, and the United States and Mexico struck a deal late yesterday to avert a tariff war. Mexico agreeing to rapidly expand a controversial asylum program and deploy security forces to stem the flow of illegal Central American migrants. And so that caused President Trump to uh, do away with the tariff uh, move that he was going to make on Mexico. So good news there for, I think, all of us and for farmers. I'm still trying to figure out why Congress can't do something about immigration legislation doing absolutely nothing and so the president did something this week and of course it's june dairy month roger and i haven't talked about this yet but uh, a lot of dairy farm breakfasts underway particularly in wisconsin wisconsin is the leading state when it comes to june dairy month breakfast on the farm And my advice uh, is for you uh, to check with your county extension office anywhere, and uh, you'll get the information on when and where Breakfast on the Farm is scheduled for your county. But uh, get out uh, and enjoy Breakfast on the Farm to salute the dairy industry. You know my line for June Dairy Month. Take a cow to lunch and uh, say thank you for all of the good nutritious products that we get from the dairy industry. And uh, before you know it, it'll be county fair time, too. Late this month, we get underway with our first county fair of the season. A lot going on, and that's why we want to get all the crops planted so that they can begin to mature and develop And give us time to celebrate the rural festivals and the food festivals and, oh, and the farmer's markets. Be sure to uh, get out to the farmer's market in your community because you want the freshest produce available. That's where you will find it. 
25 minutes before 6 o'clock, and we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, this week, talking about funding the REA. At the outset, let me explain the headline, Funding the REA. Now, there may be many of you who don't know the meaning of REA. It is the Rural Electrification Administration, and it was born in the 1930s when Franklin Roosevelt was president to bring electricity to farms and rural towns. Today, I'm often asked by young people, Mr. Samuelson, what is the biggest change in technology that you have seen in your lifetime? Well, I can not only give them the answer, I can give them the date it happened, April 11th, 1947, when the REA brought electricity to our dairy farm in Wisconsin. And that event completely changed life for my family and me. We no longer milk cows by hand. We got a milking machine. No longer did we have to depend on wind to blow the windmill to pump water. We had an electric motor. My mother threw out the flat irons on the kitchen stove because she got an electric iron. We got a refrigerator and did away with kerosene lanterns and Aladdin lamps. And I still vividly remember the first night when I stood at the bottom of the stairs, flipped a switch... And there was light in my upstairs bedroom. Yes, that event totally changed life on the farm, not only for our family, but for millions of Americans. The REA is still around, doing what it does. And that is why I was pleased a few days ago to hear Assistant Secretary for Rural Development, Joel Baxley, announce that USDA, the Department of Agriculture, was devoting a million to upgrade rural electric systems. Some of these systems are really very old and in need of upgrades. As Secretary Baxley said, investing in our nation's power infrastructure creates jobs and helps deliver services such as education, training, and health care to build stronger rural communities. That is what REA is doing and has done. I tell my grandchildren, if it wasn't for REA, you may not have computers or video games today. So thank you for supporting Rural Electric. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Tribune Radio Networks at 20 minutes before 6 o'clock. And uh, Max Armstrong standing by with our market guest of the morning. And we'll hear their visit right after this when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Richard Brock is back in the studio this weekend. Richard Brock and Associates, I have to ask you. Now, you're old enough to remember don't laugh at me. 50 years ago this year, Peggy Lee. Remember Peggy Lee? She had a big hit on all of the charts called, Is That All There Is? <laughs> if that's all there is, my friend, let's break out the booze and have a ball. Corn growers must be asking that question. Is that all there is? 
Well, I think everybody's concerned. I, 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 you know, Max, I mean, you and I basically grew up together uh, in Indiana and in, uh, Purdue, and I, I've never seen a, a spring like this. This is the latest I think we've ever been uh, in, in recent history in corn planting and, and, and also in soybean planting. And, of course, now everyone's worried about what the yields might be because of late planting. And, you know, the fact is nobody really knows. And we put in our newsletter this past week, this is one of those times where it's important to separate out uh, the difference between facts, probabilities, and possibilities, because we'll spend a lot of time talking about the possibilities and not really look at just the facts. And the facts are corn is late planted, soybeans are late planted, and and it's a high probability that it's going to hurt yields, but no one knows how much. And it's also, I think, a high probability that we're cutting three to five million acres of corn. And I think it's only a possibility that some of the forecasts we see that 10 to 12 million acres of corn is going to be cut. I don't think that's going to happen, but, you know, there are people in print saying we're going to lose, and some fairly prominent people saying we're going to lose over 10 million acres of corn. Right. I think the window we had this past week uh, is, is going to change that. Uh, a window that some had. That some had. Indiana particularly had a big window, and uh, parts of Ohio. And and others were just spotted, you know. I mean, it, we, there were a lot of small showers that went through. So it, it'll be interesting. But, you know, a week ago, uh, only 67% of the corn crop was planted nationwide. Uh, and I think come Monday, that number is probably going to bump up to uh, in the mid-80s, low to mid-80s. Really? That high? I think it'll jump up that quickly. Uh, yeah, take a look at the states that, that had the biggest problem. Like Indiana was only 31% planted, and, and that's where one of the big windows opened up was was Indiana. Uh, and South Dakota was only 44. They're going to still be quite a bit behind. Uh, there were some dry areas, but also a lot of water. Ohio, I think, still has problems. They were only 33% planted. Uh, I'm not sure they'll be over 50% uh, come uh, this coming Monday. And so, but you look at some of your other key states, uh, Iowa was already at 80, so consider them essentially done. Nebraska was 88, they're done. Okay, those are two high yielding corn states. Uh, but then there's Illinois, and this has been very spotty in, in Illinois. They were only 45%. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it's anyone's guess where we're going to end, but we know we're going to be down a fair amount in acres. And, you know, everybody, I think all farmers wanted high prices, but this is not the way any of us wanted it. You know, we'd rather have had it on the demand side rather than on the supply side, because what good high prices do you if you don't have anything to sell? All right. You've talked about the acreage that you think is planted. What is the yield possibility on those acres that are out there? I was talking to one farmer friend the other day. He was driving down the road in his pickup truck in southwestern Indiana. He said, this is a poop show, <laughs> and he was he was dressing it up for me as much as he could. But he said, if you look at the condition that these fields are going in as it's being planted, yeah. he said, for one thing, we're probably doing some long-term damage here the way we're running up some of these fields. We all know mudding a crop in is not a good thing to do. It's going to hurt yields. Um, and, and, if, and also, if you have too much moisture uh, too early, you don't develop as good of a root system. Uh, I mean, all those things are going to come into play. And as we also know, too, a lot of farmers have switched to uh, shorter maturity corn varieties, which don't yield as well as longer term. So there's no question. Fertility that, challenges? Oh, yeah. It's, everything's going to be there. Well, and look, last fall was wet. Most nitrogen didn't get applied. Right. And it was been wet all spring. So we're looking a lot of corn is going to have to be side-dressed which we haven't done that in I don't know how many years. And uh, so getting the nitrogen is going to be a real problem. And a race to maturity. Uh, yeah, that's right. So there's, you know, I don't think the corn 
bull market is over. We're going to see a lot of volatility in here. We're under pressure here late in the week uh, because of um, uh, the planning progress has been made. But you know, yield estimates are all over uh, right now. You know, uh, we're holding our estimate on the national average yield at 170. I don't think it'll be any higher than that. There are some 165s out there. Right. Now, that would be a pretty big uh, drop. I think it's too early to drop one's estimates that much. But, you know, if we had a 165 or, or even a 168 yield and we dropped our planted acreage down to 86 million, uh, we're at a carryover 1.25. Well, we're talking $5 corn, if that's the case. If we plant 90, 90 and a half million acres, which I think now would be the top side, uh, at 170, we're still at 1.7. I think we're going to be somewhere between 1.2 and 1.5 is where we're going to end up in carryover. And if that's the case, then you know we're the corn market's not overpriced right now. Uh, it, it's going to be solid. And of course, I think most farmers are also seeing the news where East Coast poultry and pork um, uh, producers are already shipping um, book shipments of corn from South America. And to come in, and this happened several years ago when we had a shortage. And you know, it's going to do crazy things to the bases because those operations pull corn uh, primarily out of Ohio and southern Michigan and and eastern Indiana. Well, those are the areas that don't have much of a corn crop, and so you know, their game plan is look, it costs us uh, about the same or maybe even less to bring it in by ship from Brazil. Right into Wilmington. Right into Wilmington, right. And then it does to rail it in from now probably uh, western Indiana and, and Illinois. And there's already going to be enough pull on that corn. And so, you know, it, it, it creates havoc when you've got your biggest production in the western part of the Corn Belt in Nebraska rather than the eastern part. And so now it just plays havoc with the transportation systems, rails, and everything. I wasn't totally joking a week ago when I told a friend of mine, I said, oh, my goodness, the Chicago Tribune, Chicago television stations, uh, the Washington Post, they've all discovered a crop problem in the heartland. The rally's over. <laughs> and yeah. we've seen the rally plateau. I mean, I, I, I was referring back to some of the drought years when we had seen the mass media and the general public realizing there was a problem. Well, that's true, and that does concern me. I mean, the same thing happened not long ago in in the pork industry when press started talking about you know the African uh, swine fever, and and when all that hit, I can tell you right now, that's been the top of the hog market. Okay, when when everybody finds out about it, it's it's pretty well known because it, it's not. I've always said you know it's not the facts in the market that are important. It's what people think the facts are, and it's a big difference. And so once everybody knows the news, it's it's quickly discounted. Okay, so we take a look at uh, the press covering it now. Okay, everyone now knows we have a, a problem with the corn and the soybeans. Okay, that's given us the rally up through this past early this past week. Uh, but now you know now we have, bull markets need new bull news to keep going up. And so now I think we're going to switch from acreage to worrying about what the yield's going to be and getting the nitrogen and that type of thing. So. You know, I, I don't, again, I, I'm not confident at all that the bull market in corn is over. The soybean one worries me quite a bit because we have way too much supply. The fundamentals in beans are a lot different than corn right now. And and we've kind of uh, uh, walked away from paying attention to the tariff argument now with China once we've got concentrating on weather. Uh, but we're going to go back to that here pretty shortly. I the mean, world is a wash in beans. Yeah, we are. I mean, the world just has too, way too many beans. Is that serving as a little bit of a depressing factor as well on the corn? market yeah, then it is it is and 
and, and, and that's just not helping things at all. And so there are two different worlds right now, but corn really needs to separate itself from the corn or from the soybean market. And thus far, they're pretty well moving together. And, uh, you know, and I think uh, there was, there's a lot of old crop was yet to move as of two weeks ago. And so I think a lot of that's happening now, too, and, and is depressing the market somewhat. But, you know, basis levels have stayed pretty good. And um, and so, you know, it's uh, uh, in a market like this, I think from a, a marketing point of view, uh, producers have to spread sales and, and sell a lot of 10, 15% increments in this kind of a market because, you know, while we all have an idea what we think is going to happen, I mean, that can change in an instant. And you don't want to... Uh, look back and think, okay, this was the end of the bull market and didn't sell anything. I mean, at least be cleaning up old crop sales in, in this kind of a market and and then taking a look and getting new. And then the, the problem though most producers have from a practical point of view is, well, okay, I want to sell 10%. 10% of what? Yeah. You know, I mean, if exactly. you don't know what your yields are going to be, it's, it's tough. There's no easy decision to be made in this kind of a market. There just isn't. And uh, so, you know, it's a strategy. I mean, when I wrote uh, last week's newsletter, uh, we wrote it based upon, you know, um, you know, what do we do? How do we enter this market? And and just to simplify things, you know, from our point of view, and and uh, you know, we're looking in our two managed grain market programs, we're right at eight hundred thousand acres. So we got a lot of stuff to sell, and and so we're looking at saying, okay, our, our first sales are going to be forward cash contracts to scale into this our second one will be an option strategy of buying puts and selling calls and our third one will be outright futures and uh so i mean that's just our approach that's the way we've always done it uh, and knowing that not everyone's going to use all those tools but you in this kind of a market if you're going to try and pick a top and take advantage of this rally you have to use various tools and not just cash contracts because i would be afraid if i were a producer to be real heavy in the new crop on a cash contract not knowing what yields are going to be uh, so we'll do that in a smaller increment and then we'll start using an option strategy but i can tell you right now we haven't sold anything uh, in corn nothing <laughs> And uh, well, I mean, we're we're hanging out there, and uh, you know, I, I think we still have. Uh, some, some, I think we'll have another shot at it. I uh, I think the gaps left in charts from a technical point of view uh, here this past week. I think it was a measuring gap, not an exhaustion gap, which means we're halfway up. Uh, which means you know our, our next objective and nearby corns around four seventy five. And uh, you know, you got July corn, you know, trading around uh, four twelve, four fifteen. So. You know, right now, I mean, it's hard to be patient in this market. And tell you, you get one big sell-off, and you think, oh, I, I just missed the top. And that's why you got to do small increments right now. This is going to be a nerve-wracking experience, very much. The experience of 2018, that short-lived opportunity there mm-hmm. to uh, take advantage of prices, had to be fresh on the minds of growers coming yeah. into this season. But but this delayed planting precluded a lot of action there, did it not? I think that's true. You know, in, in the last... Um, 13 months, Max, there have been two major signals in the market. The first one occurred in uh, the Tuesday following Memorial Day of 2018. The most dramatic sell signal I've ever seen in 43 years of of grain marketing. And and we went super heavily sold uh, for two years uh, on that one day. The next one occurred just this May 13th, um, right before Memorial Day weekend, when everybody was depressed. I mean, it, it was hard not to be depressed. Market was making new lows, I remember, on that Monday morning. I think it was a Monday morning on the 13th. And, and by the end of the day, the market had closed with a technical reversal up, and then Tuesday it gapped higher. And 
that was a huge signal. Okay, that signaled a major bottom in corn. And no, no one knew at that stage what was going to really cause it or how high it was going to go. But it was a dramatic signal in the market. And that's when we bought a lot of corn for livestock producers, et cetera. And, and that's where we've been since. And so far, I haven't seen anything uh, uh, from a technical or fundamental, fundamental point of view in corn to make us change our minds. Um, again, beans a little bit different situation, but, you know, most of these markets are going to give you a couple opportunities. And most bull markets in corn, last bull markets in corn uh, since starting in 2012 have lasted anywhere from three weeks to, to eight weeks. Uh, 2012 was eight weeks. Uh, we're just now starting our fourth week on this one. And uh, uh, next, you know, this coming week will, will be week five. But, you know, five, six weeks, you know, I, I think... You it, are assuming the bull market continues. Yeah, I, assuming the bull market continues. I don't think this one was over in two and a half weeks, okay, and which is what it would be if, if it's not going any higher. And uh, but it just takes patience. But again, don't put all your all, all your marbles in the same bag here. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, with this big of a rally, it, it's just common sense and good fire management to sell a little bit every now and then on sharp rallies right. uh, to put money in the bank. You know, like some of our farm customers say, you know, I really want to sell a lot. I, three weeks ago, I never dreamed of having this opportunity. Okay? And 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 so let's you know let's not have a real short memory here. And let's. I think these are markets that take a strategy. Don't 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 roll the dice on, on whether it's going up or going down. Uh, scale into it. But uh, uh, overall, uh, you know, I think you're going to, going to have some other opportunities. Richard Brock, Richard Brock and Associates, suggesting you not wind up singing like. Peggy Lee did. Is that all there is, my friend? I want you to YouTube that when you get out of here, Richard. I want you to listen to Peggy Lee. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Max. It'll be a different Farm Progress show later this summer with the mergers that have taken place among the companies that serve farmers. There'll be new names, new signs, new logos out there among the more than 600 exhibitors. It'll be the place for the producer to sort it all out. The Farm Progress show dates this year are August 27th through the 29th. The show will be back at Decatur, Illinois, the 66th annual Farm Progress show. Keep an eye on the website for updates, farmprogressshow.com. And that's our time for this Saturday morning. As always, we thank Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering. We thank you for listening and hope you listen to WGN Radio throughout the week. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.